Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Hello, and welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today, I'm sitting down with Elizabeth Navarrete. Elizabeth, how are you doing? I'm doing great, RJ. How about yourself? Oh, just another day in paradise. Thank you for taking the time to sit down with me today. Uh, why don't you take a quick second to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do in real estate investing. Sure. Okay, sounds great. Thank you so much for having me on, first of all. I'm so excited to be on your show. And, well, yeah, I mean, first of all, I started my uh, career in real estate investing as a realtor. And I kind of th kind of did things backwards because I first started as a realtor, then uh, rehabbing, and then wholesaling. So, every, you know, usually people start at the wholesaling <laughs> end and, and work their way up, but right. I did it all reversed. So, um, as wacky as it seems, it, it made sense for us, and it's worked well. So, um, prior to that, my background is actually in social work. So... When I made the switch, it was it was daunting for me because I didn't consider myself uh, an expertise in sales. That really wasn't my niche. I never I've never had to do any sales before, but um, I quickly realized that my skill set in social work uh, really translated well into the real estate arena, which has helped me tremendously. Because as you know, in this industry, you need to know how to speak, but also listen. I think listening is the biggest uh, portion of our job. And that's the way we're able to get um, properties under contract and also sell to sell our and pitch our ideas to other people. So absolutely. So that's pretty much it. Gotcha. So okay, what market are you currently investing in? So I am located in Houston, and we buy, fix, and flip, and owner finance in Houston, Chicago, and we do uh, some investing in South America and in Mexico as well. So Ooh. we're we're local, national, and international. Oh, that's cool. So I, I definitely want to dive into the international stuff. I've, sure. That always intrigues me. That's something I've never do dove into and, and done ourselves, so I always want to ask questions about that. So... Uh, you're in you live in Houston, and that's where you're yes. doing a bunch of fix and flips and owner financing. Are you also yes. wholesaling there? We are also wholesaling. Um, of course, most of the stuff we keep for ourselves for us to either flip or owner finance, but we also do wholesaling, and we also do uh, workshops, and particularly in Spanish, to help our Spanish-speaking community understand how to correctly uh, invest in real estate and and we take them on as partners on flips so they can actually they eventually can do it on their own so you've done that's that cool. as well yes. yeah that's really cool and you also said Chicago so how are you yeah. in both Chicago and Houston why those two markets well, that was interesting. Well, um, my life partner and business partner, he had his mortgage company in Chicago back in 2001. And um, he was the one that motivated me to transition from social worker into real estate uh, investor agent and whatnot. So um, he was living in Chicago at the time. He was living between Houston and Chicago. He also had a branch here in Houston. 
And so I started doing the same thing. I started traveling to Chicago, uh, doing just meddling a little bit into real estate investing. Um, and it was really passively. It really wasn't, we weren't active investors. We were, we just pretty much had appraisers hand us over deals. Uh, because, you know, those were good times in real estate, which was 2001. Yeah, 2001 up until 2007, which was very, it's very defined for us in 2007. A lot of people say, well, the market crashed in 2008. But for us, I mean, the, the, the rug was completely just pulled from underneath our feet right at, I want to say around, um, around August, September of 2007. So what happened in August and September 2000 that really, like like you said, swept the rug out from underneath your feet? Well, we were mainly focusing on retail sales. As, since I started as a realtor, I, that's all I, was, all I was doing. I was helping uh, sellers and I was helping buyers. So retail sales was my, my 100% um, income. That's all I depended on. And my partner, all he was depending on were the mortgages. So when... The way it all happened for us was that we just started receiving emails from account executives from those big banks that I will not name, but most, you know, almost all of them do not <laughs> exist. But you remember those, no, uh, no credit check, no, uh, no money down, no this, right. zero this, zero cost that, those type of banks. Yeah, they all pretty much sent emails, uh, pretty much all at the same time saying thank Thank you for your business. Thank you for your continued support. Uh, and we are no longer open. So that's pretty much how it happened via email wow. and just without any type of notice ahead of time. So everything we had in our pipeline at that time, we probably had about 18 buyers and it was all completely shut down. We had absolutely nothing from not, from night to day. I mean, from like a Friday to a Monday. It was completely gone. Our entire pipeline dwindled to nothing. Oh my goodness! Because of that, yeah. That and is that that's was, crazy. It was crazy, and you know what? At the same time, it was it well. It was a hard lesson for us because we were very young then, and we were making a lot of money then. With you know, just we were just doing so well. Business was booming at that time, and but we didn't have on we didn't have any other income to depend on. That's all we had. So the investment that the investments that we were doing again it was very passively everything was handed over to us we just pretty much were your typical you know um, investor that just would walk in look at the house every so often and walk out we weren't doing anything of you know um, negotiating contracts and getting our contractors and doing all that stuff because everything was done for us everything was just there was just too. There was, uh, I like to call it, it was a time of excess. There was excess of everything and so much money to be made. And so from going to that to nothing uh, was really, really hard. We really had to, um, you know, reanalyze our, our uh, monthly expenses because we were living way above our means, I think. And we were, we expected that this was going to go on for a long time and it, and it just didn't happen that way. So we really had to you know, sell off the mortgage company and sell a couple of properties we had in Chicago, sell the cars we had over there and, and make, make, we made the decision to, to completely do our business only in Houston for some time because of that 80, you know, 80%. Um, the factor, the, the fact that the state of Texas is so, uh, conservative with values that helped us stay afloat. But in Chicago, people were refinancing a hundred percent 
every mm-hmm. year, every year and a half, every two years, because uh, values were increasing like excessively over there in, in Illinois. Right. So let's talk about this because, you know, I, I go to a ton of real estate networking events and meetups and especially here in Dallas, Fort Worth, but also in other markets. I feel like everybody is feeling a little bit of a slowing down of the market, a, a softening or a correction, whatever you want to call it. Yes. Um, what are you doing 10 plus years later different now? And are you seeing any similarities to what happened in 2007 and 2008 to today? What we're doing now is that we have multiple streams of income. We we no longer uh, make that mistake of just um, using one strategy to create income for us. So that's key. That That's the biggest lesson that we learned with that 2007 um, situation. Uh, we learned that it was very important to have several streams of income. So what are we doing now? I mean, we're we're wholesaling multifamily um, deals. We're uh, you know we're actually wholesaling ourselves now. We're actually um, doing our own rehabs. We have we now have our own rehab construction company. It's you know by investors for investors, and we have about 35 guys under salary that work for us and all we do is we rehab our, you know, they do the rehabs for our homes and we also rehab homes for other investors. So we do that. Um, I list our flips. We do our own flips, um, you know, from start to finish. We no longer hand that off to anybody else. We do it ourselves. Um, and what else are we doing? I mean, we're doing owner financing. Owner financing. Yes, that's huge here too. We're doing a lot of owner financing. Thank you for reminding me. And also the fact that we expanded to, um, invest in South America, in particular, uh, Ecuador. That's the country that we've selected, uh, at this time where we're doing our main focus of, uh, investing overseas. Gotcha. So. Yes. I want to ask about that because, you know, here, my company, Titanium Investments, we have a similar strategy in the fact that what I've asked different investors that went through the crash in 08 is, yes, they wanted passive income, but what I've also seen across the country was is the crashes in the different markets were completely different. So yeah. how it impacted California, impacted Texas, and impacted Chicago and Florida completely differently. Mm-hmm. And so for us, we immediately were, the dot came, okay, let's have a focus on passive income. Let's also have expansion or, or focus on expansion into different markets because if there is a correction, the correction is going to be different in Dallas-Fort Worth than it's going to be in, say, Tulsa, Oklahoma, or Honolulu, Hawaii, or Anchorage, Alaska, just depending on what is the cause of the crash. Outside of just real estate, it could also be what's happening in the stock market or what's happening in our, just in our world general, you know, the safety of the world, you know, who knows what is going to cause the next correction. And so for you, you went international. So why did you choose Ecuador? And because that, I'm going to be honest with you, you are the first person that I've ever had that I've ever heard of talk about the Ecuador real estate market. So I'm in, in completely intrigued as to why you chose that country and that location. It's interesting because, of course, um, we have some some family ties over there. But mainly um, the fact that Ecuador is the only country in Latin America that uses a U.S. currency. So that's key for us because, for example, in Mexico, my, my dad has several um, – rental properties there and and he has land and things like that and 
in Mexico with the devaluation of the dollar, of the, of the peso, it's, it's, it's a, a tremendous loss. If you, you know, um, convert, you know, the pesos into the dollars, you lose a lot of money, but in Ecuador, it's the dollar. So it's, it made a perfect sense for us. And we already had, um, some properties that we've been, we've had, to, we've developed out there in the past. And we also have some, some, um, uh, what is this commercial properties that we've been kind of like adding, uh, small businesses to. So, so that's why we decided that that was the perfect way because we already had ins in the market. And the fact that over there, I mean, um, you still have, uh, you don't have a lot of people using, they're barely starting now to have the system like we do here in the U.S. with credit. Uh, you don't, you rarely see that in Latin America that people use credit to buy cars or to buy homes. It's mainly cash. They buy everything cash. And so now it's becoming kind of like, um, something that's, that's not well accepted, but a little bit more familiar for people to apply for credit in, in, in particular. I'm, I'm going to focus on Ecuador because banks are realizing that, okay, well, they can charge, they charge 15% interest and it's a 20% down uh, to buy a house. But of course, it takes about four or five months to get a loan versus here. It could take, you know, we say 30 days, but most lenders can't come through in 30 days uh, for a closing uh, for right. a conventional loan. But so we're looking at that situation. So right now, since people are still kind of like thinking about whether to use a bank to buy a house, we're actually offering them owner financing, which is working perfectly for us. So we're selling off homes, we're selling off um, commercial spaces, and if they don't have all the money to come up with up front, we're offering them, you know, financing from owner to owner. So it's making sense for us to do that. And the fact that we, you know, that we can use the dollar there, we don't, there's not loss of money, Only we only pay, you know, a little bit higher in taxes, but it still makes sense for us to invest over there due to that. Right. So let's let's talk about how you're doing your owner financing there, because... When I do owner financing, I'm wrapping a mortgage. So how are are you keeping your cash in or are you ever leveraging it and getting your cash back out and wrapping a mortgage or how are you structuring those owner finance deals? The thing is is that we all the properties that we own in Ecuador, we own free and clear. So we don't have a mortgage on them, we just own them straight up free and clear. And so what we're doing is that okay, well, um, you know, we have like, let's say a, um, we have several, uh, we have several commercial spaces for sale. Mm -hmm. So we've had, um, our, you know, the people that are renting from us, they're coming up to us and saying, you know, we're, they've been renting for, for um, us for about eight to 10 years, most of them. So they're like, look, I mean, my business has done really well here. We don't want to move and we want to buy you out. So, you know, we'll do the, We'll have somebody give, you know, do the appraisal for us, and then we'll ne we've negotiated out a price. And usually, like I said, because of the mentality over there, it's like I don't want to be in debt, I don't want to owe you money, I don't want to pay interest. They're like, I'll get, I'll, I mean, we'll do this in three years. We'll finish paying you off in three years. So we'll do like, we'll do. It's different the way you manage it here versus there. You have pretty much. Um, as long as you have an agreement and you have an attorney, you know, review all the documentation, everything looks good and both parties agree, you can you can you can do a five year arm if you want to. You're not restricted from doing that. So 
that's how we've do, we've done it over there. There's um, less control, but again, there's um, you always have to have a good attorney on your side that's going to help you know make everything smoothly and filed correctly. That way, you don't have any issues later on down the line. How long did it take you to do the research to figure out how you were going to actually even buy a property or or begin your investing career in, in an international market? Because I've done research on different like little bucket list countries that I would love to own some properties in or rental or even do like vacation rentals in. And it's really hard to find like information online. It about is. buying these properties in these other countries. And it's, yes. it's crazy. It's like, I, I don't know if it's because I'm not typing in that language or, or how that works, but how long did it take you to actually figure out how you could do that in another country? So we actually lived in Ecuador, in Quito, in which is the capital. We lived in Quito in 2011. We lived there for about eight or nine months. Uh, I, I really couldn't take longer than that. I love the country. It's beautiful. <laughs> but I will tell you that I am an all-American girl, Mexican, but all-American at heart. And uh, I just, you know, um, it was it was tough for me to adjust because I don't have any family there. And you know, that's not my culture. So a lot of things that I had to adjust to. So, but I, I love the, you know, the people there are amazing. The weather is fantastic. And those 11 months, we really decided like, this is the time that we're going to spend talking to people, walking, uh, lands. That's pretty much the way you figure it out. I mean, um, gotcha. because we tried looking on the internet as well and nothing. And yeah. we also depended on relatives to, you know, help us out with information and, that was pretty much obsolete too. They had no idea what we were looking for or how they had just no idea what, how to even find out or how to start researching. So we just stayed there 11 months talking to everyone we knew. Um, again, my life and business partner, he, he has family in Ecuador and, um, they own, uh, they're pretty big developers over there. So that helped too. You know, some family ties with, with, um, you know, purchasing land and figuring out where it makes sense to, to buy and where is it to buy at least expensive and things like that. So that helped, but it took us about a good 11 months and we had to be there in the actual country to learn exactly what we needed to do, how we were going to implement it. And from 2011 to 2015 is where we, where, how long it took us to finally execute it. That's cool. So let, let's get back to the, the United States now. Yes. And, and I know you're yes. doing some cool stuff over in Houston and in Chicago. So you briefly mentioned, uh, multifamily. Are you taking yes. down those multifamily and, and doing value adds and, and selling those? Or are you just wholesaling or what are you doing in the multifamily we, realm? We've just a whole, we've just done wholesaling. Yeah. We, we haven't, uh, Right now, for us, it doesn't make sense for us to hold them for the moment. Um, that's something we plan to do in the next year or so. But um, we've, we've acquired a few just to wholesale only. Gotcha. So when you go to wholesale a multifamily property like that, is that because you had previously wholesaled single-family properties, correct? Yes. So did you have to go out and build a whole nother buyer's list or were you able to sell those multifamily properties within your same list? 
We had both. We had to uh, network and meet some new people that we had not met before to in order for us to build on. We, we don't really have like, for example, we don't blast out all our deals to so many people because mm-hmm. we have a very exclusive list of, you know, 15 really solid buyers that I mean, um, we pretty much sell within hours of us getting something under contract. So we rarely ever blast anything out. We just keep it under wraps with the people that we know that are, that are, that will come through that aren't going to daisy chain, you know, our cash buyer list. And so we've been able to uh, acquire new buyers and some of our existing buyers have taken up those multifamily deals as well. Gotcha. So I know uh, a while back, I, I think it's been a little bit over a year now, uh, Hurricane Harvey was uh, was pretty devastating to the city of Houston. Yes, what what impact did that have on on your company and just the market as a whole in Harvey or in in Houston? To be honest with you, as an investor, for us, it really helped uh, boost our businesses. I mean, it's very unfortunate that this this happened to so many families. We personally were not affected. Um, uh, you know, none of our employees or our homes were affected. Um, but our business just boomed from you know it was it was incredible how busy it got for us. We acquired so many properties. Properties. We also helped improve the city by taking on a lot of new rehabs. Um, you have you had a lot of um, investors that had properties without uh, flood insurance, mm-hmm. so that was devastating. And so we went in and and did we we either partnered up with a few of them to get these houses uh, rehabbed and sold, or uh, we took them on as rehab projects. Uh, you know, as clients just to rehab and then, and then they, they, most of them, what they've done is they, they have them leased out to section eight tenants, which makes sense, uh, right. until they capture some equity and people kind of, you know, the, the fear of Harvey kind of dwindles down, which that's going to take a long time. I mean, that's not something that's going to go away because people are still scared about it. I mean, anytime we hear that there's a hurricane, um, in the Gulf, it's like everybody starts freaking out. I mean, you know, because it's like, oh no, here we go again. The, the market has been stable for us as investors, but you know, as far as the retail side of it, for example, I had a few listings that, um, got flooded and, and we were under contract. We were ready to close and then Hurricane Harvey happened and these homes flooded and we were out of contract. So that I saw that aspect of, of the market too. So that's where it slowed down as far as the retail side of it. Homes that were on the market under contract that got flooded, those were the ones that's that's what caused the halt in our in our retail sales, so to speak. Right. And I mean as we're recording this right now, there's a category four hurricane hitting Florida, you know, right now. Yes. And uh, uh who knows what kind of damage is gonna come from that. And that's kinda why I wanted to bring that up because you know, we've just recently had the hurricanes hit the Carolinas really hard, and now we yes. have Florida being hit hard again. And you know, I'm I'm out in Hawaii, and we've had two hurricanes that have you know barely missed Hawaii. And um, you never know what outside influence can come and have a huge impact on your business. And it's just it's always intelligent to be prepared for any kind of circumstance like that. So make sure you're properly insured on your properties because I'm going to tell you right now, the moment those hurricanes or tropical storms start to form, 
you cannot go change your insurance on your properties. The insurance That's companies right. get it locked down, and there That's is no, right. hey, the hurricane's going to hit in five days. I need hurricane coverage. Nope. Sorry. That's right. done that a long time ago. True. And, and um, most carriers, and a lot of carriers don't even um, – they don't even, uh, they're not even doing insurance during the hurricane season. A lot of carriers pull out right. during the hurricane season. Yep. It's pretty crazy. So, it is. um, and it's interesting to see that it, it was a boost to your business. Do you, the people that are local to Houston, cause Houston's kind of notoriously known for flooding issues, right? Yes. Correct. I mean, I mean you guys kind of like, you know, it sprinkles a little bit and somewhere's flooding. So. <laughs> yeah. There's- there are very defined uh, uh, p- parts of town that are notorious for flooding, like you said. Like even there's this infamous tax, the tax day flood, which it, it really only rained half a day. And you had these particular neighborhoods that completely flooded. I want to add something else, RJ, very quickly regarding what you said, external influences or the outside influences uh, when you're affected by a hurricane. Something that we saw here that was, you know, um, that was somewhat, it was very, what, what's the word that I'm trying to look for? It was very disheartening is that you had so many people that all they saw were dollar bills when, when everything was, was, was settled after the hurricane. Once the hurricane mm-hmm. passed Houston and we were, you know, we were assessing the entire city as far as what was happening. You had all these fly-by-night contractors, and I called them, I, I started calling them last year, um, YouTube contractors, because people that <laughs> we pretty much know in the industry, they all of a sudden, oh, we're a contract, we're, you know, we, we can, we can go in and, and, uh, you know, uh, fi- fix your home and, uh, get rid of the mold and dry your home up and all this other stuff. And you have no idea how many, just how many people became contractors all of a sudden. Um, and even the cost of labor increased tremendously. We had guys we were paying, you know, 110 per day to work for us. And they all of a sudden wanted $180 per day to work for right. us. If not, they were going to go work on their own. And it's like, you know, so many people were taken advantage of. So many people did the remediation incorrectly. And we're seeing that now. We're seeing a lot of homes now that we're opening up walls and you have mold from not Harvey, but you know, the tax day flood, which was, which right. was like, I don't know, a year prior to Harvey or, you know, eight months prior to Harvey. So mm-hmm. it was, it's, you know, it's very disheartening that, that a lot of people take advantage of that. And, and I hope people that are listening to us that are, that are currently um, going through this situation to be careful uh, who you hire and, um, you know, make sure Make sure you get referrals from other people that have used them, at least, you know, five, six, eight referrals, because it's you have a lot of people that are, you know, packing up, I'm sure, from California that are going over to these affected um, states and just Mm -hmm. offering services. And they're not cognizant of what um, is required uh, to appropriately rehab these homes and, and make them livable again. Correct. And part of the issue there. And I, I will speak uh, very cautiously here because I love I love my state. I love the state of Texas, but uh, the state of Texas does not have uh, very strict guidelines on contractors and, and roofing contractors and general contractors. Um, other states out there, like the state of Florida, um, 
you are licensed and you are heavily regulated and it cuts down on that. And what I've seen is, is, uh, because my partner in Hawaii is also a roofing contractor and he's, he's been in, uh, Hawaii, Florida, Colorado, Arizona, all these different states is like in Florida, um, you're heavily regulated. But what ends up happening is, is you can actually have these fly-by-night contractors come in and work underneath another person's license as if yes. they are that contractor. And uh, it's just crazy how creative um, entrepreneurs and human beings can be and kind of get around rules and regulations. Yeah. So you, no matter where you are, you have to be careful for it. That's right. Um, and, and you're right. I mean, in times like that, there are, there are definitely people that all they see is dollar signs. Mm-hmm. Um and and some people just don't handle things correctly, but there also are people out there, man, that do amazing things. And and I know um, you guys down in Houston. Um, I don't know if you're a, a football fan or not, but JJ uh, uh, Watt for the Houston Texans. I know he did incredible things for y'all city. He um, did just he personally did. as as himself and using his platform in such an appropriate way. Um, and, and I don't even remember how many millions of dollars he donated and raised for himself, but I, I just remember it was incredible watching what he did over those first couple of weeks after Harvey came. And uh, that's that's a huge testament to him as a person, but also for the love that he has for the city that he represents every, right. every week. So it's, uh, it's it, you know, sometimes in those bad events, you know, somebody that, you know, you just look at it as a football player, they stand up and they really inspire you as as a person and, and uh, eventually hope that, you know, one day I could do something similar to that for, for somebody That's else. Right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And and um, speaking on that, also Mattress Mac, from, the owner from Gallery Furniture, he also did tremendous things. He opened up his, his furniture store and allowed people that, families that were affected by the hurricane go and stay at his furniture store and it was pretty amazing what he did as well. He raised a lot of money and, and opened his doors to the community, which is, which is tremendous because, um, you know, a lot, a lot of people, especially in that type of position will do something like that, you know? Right. So, yeah. So you and I both have something pretty cool that, uh, we've been recently invited to do and, and be a part of, um, for the listeners yes. out there that are not aware, then that means you didn't listen two episodes ago to my interview with Ryan Harper. But, uh, Propelio is a company that's based, uh, out of Dallas Fort Worth up here and, and they are an amazing company. They do so much for the real estate investing community, but their product is, uh, among many things, and if you want to learn more about it, go to Propelio.com or listen to my interview with Ryan Harper a couple of weeks ago. But it basically is a way for uh, real estate investors to pull MLS comps without having MLS access. They also sell lists for motivated sellers, and then they also create websites for uh, real estate investors. But uh, one of the things that they do to give back to real estate investing community is they have what's called Propelio TV, and it's on their Facebook page and their YouTube channel. And uh, I am now the proud host of Titanium Tuesdays on Propelio TV. And Elizabeth is going to be, uh, and, and don't judge me on this title, this is actually going to be the title. <laughs> She's one of the boss babes, um, and, and boss babes is going to be on Fridays, is that correct? That's correct. Well, we're, the first show is this Friday, and then the uh, next week we're going to be on the Thursday 1 o'clock slot. So every go. Thursday at 1. Yes. So okay, tune so, in. And, so it's an Thursday at 1, Propelio, yes. 
on Facebook and the Propelio channel on YouTube, and that will be live. And it's going to be like a rotating cast of, of characters, uh, boss babes there. Uh, Elizabeth is one, and then my partner, Cassie DeHaas, is going to be one, and uh, a couple of other people that we've had on the show. I know Jamie Woolley's going to be on there, and uh, I don't know everybody, so if I didn't name you and you listen to this, don't get mad at me. I wasn't in, I'm not a babe, so I wasn't at the meeting, so I don't know everybody, but... Uh, but that's gonna be uh, that's gonna be really uh, fun, and it's gonna be a great opportunity for for some of the amazing women in real estate investing to get up there and share their stories and their strategies. And so, congratulations on getting invited to do that. Thank you. Yes, I'm super excited. I totally uh, support Propelio. They're amazing. Um, they really do a lot for our community. Community, and I also want to uh, you know subtle plug there, but they're also doing the Propelio Academy, which is completely free. You can sign up at propelio.com slash academy, and it's all real estate education, real estate investing education free. Uh, Grant Kemp comes on there, and he's just genius in my mind. Um, he's fantastic, very, very knowledgeable. So many amazing guests on, on uh, Propelio Academy, so definitely tune in and, and register for that. It's completely free. You don't have to be a subscriber of Propelio right. to, uh, to, be, uh, to participate. Right. Well, Elizabeth, I want to ask you, with all the different things that we just talked about, you're you're investing internationally, you're, you're in multiple markets here in the United States, and now you're a part of the Propelio TV cast. I guess that's what we'll start calling it. I like that's it. right. It's the TV cast. So you're part yeah. of the cast now, and uh, what what is your, your driving force behind everything that you do? What's your why? My why is really because I have my businesses are family-oriented, to me is to give my family the opportunity to, um, you know, do things on their own, like do things, um, you know, live life on their own terms. That's important to me. My dad's on our staff. My mom is, um, you know, all our workers, uh, they're like extended family to us and their families as well. And to us, a family owned business and living life on our terms is key and being able to give that opportunity to other families that support our dream and our vision and our um and our drive and our passion i think that's that's key for me and if i could share that with others and help others offer that to other people i think um we can make a huge difference in our community well that's a that's a pretty good why right there and uh I, I, would, I think you're going to be a huge asset to uh, the Boss Babes uh, show on Thursdays for Propelio, and uh, uh, you've definitely inspired me with your story today. That's a that's incredible what you're doing in Ecuador and and just the other things that you're doing here. Um, you know, I I know what it takes to be investing in multiple markets, um, just here in you know within the United States and I know what that takes um, as an entrepreneur. I can only imagine what it takes to also be uh, doing things internationally as well. So that's a, that's an amazing story. So thank you for joining us today and taking time out of your very busy schedule. And uh, I, I look forward to, to watching you next Thursday on uh, the boss babe show. Fantastic. Thank you, RJ. Appreciate the invitation. I, I really, uh, I had a wonderful time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Elizabeth. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, R.J. Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault. Titanium Vault.